Our special guest is here, first time he's been back in the studio in two years, David Rowe, the state representative in the 85th District. He had to check his boots before he came in here because I saw you at the farm show yesterday. <laughs> yes, so, those were Ag Progress days. Pull the microphone up. Oh, okay, Was that? but that was at the farm show, though, right? No, that was out in State College at the, uh, the oh. Penn State Ag Progress Research Center. Boy, that's a, so that background is portable. Mm -hmm. Take that different places. Wow, fantastic. Okay, yeah, a lot of superlative agriculture oriented youth around here getting awards and scholarships and so on so that's uh, this is one of the good things you get to do right is go out and hand down oh definitely and now with the kind of with stuff. the new district maps I'm picking up two more counties it's two more county fairs I get to go to uh, two more <laughs> livestock auctions I get to support the kids at so you know two more sets of rabbits I get to, to get for dinner <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say <laughs> don't yeah, tell me you eat the exhibits Dave <laughs> Only the, the ones I pay for, Joe. Okay. No, at the far, at the Bloomsburg Fair, they say they eat the losers. Do they? Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure what that phrase really means, but in any event, okay. Well, welcome aboard. You are well and thriving as the state representative. I still think of you as the new representative, but it's been four years now. It is how time flies when you're having fun, right? So, right, and you're well. I'm doing very well. Doing very well. I'm honored to to be running again. That uh, the uh, the next couple of years should be entertaining ones. Hopefully, they are slightly less chaotic than the last couple of years. I'll say my first term was not what I expected it to be. You know, I came in immediately prior to to COVID and all of the shutdowns and all of that kind of that craziness was all prior to uh, you know hopefully prior to some return to normalcy. But right. we've got all of Snyder County now in the next after the after January, right? Yes. Yep. The new maps will have the 85th district covering all of Snyder. County. Linda Culver has been moved up into Montour County. Uh, I've been moved out of most of Union County, with the exception of East Buffalo and Union Townships. Uh, and then I've, the 85th District has been pushed all the way west into Juniata and Mifflin Counties, uh, specifically Derry, Decatur, and Burnham in Mifflin County, and Fayette and Monroe Townships in Juniata. Create any problems for you as a representative? Uh, the only, the only, pr it's not necessarily a problem, but we do have to relocate our district offices. And unfortunately, a lot of us in this uh, rural area of PA, because of the way the maps were drawn have to relocate our offices. Uh, and that's an unfortunate taxpayer expense, and we're going to have new staff and new offices, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to be able to get to know their issues and uh, be able to address the problems that they have. It's just going to take a little while. There's definitely going to be a learning curve. We're looking at uh, putting some satellite offices out in Mifflin and Juniata counties. The uh, main office will be located in Middleburg, just off of Paxtonville Road. Uh, so that's being renovated as we speak, uh, and should be open up and running by September or October, but we'll keep you posted on that front. And we invite our audience, if you have a question for State House Member David Rowe, you can email us at onthemark at wkok.com or text us at 70236. We'll keep the phones tied up for the first 10 minutes or so while we kind of go through some of our questions. Well, the state of Pennsylvania, I wanted to start with that. You kind of have a situation here where uh, everything is different these days. So you came on board. You wouldn't know what a normal legislative <laughs> year is if uh, it, because you haven't been there yet, for one. So, uh, State of Pennsylvania, governor's wrapping up, folks are running, or candidates are out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be a fascinating year, I, I think, for sure. I, I hope people are paying attention to exactly what's going on in Pennsylvania, both on the state level and the uh, and on the federal level. Uh, I think it's it's obvious that there's a very clear distinction <laughs> between the, the policies and futures that are that are out there between the candidates that are that are running for both uh, for governor and for Senate. Uh, I hope people make sure that they are getting out and voting. I uh, met with a, uh, a Boy Scout the other 
week, and I do a lot of the, the civic requirements with the Boy Scouts. They would have to meet with one of their local elected officials. And I always ask them, you know, what is the single most important uh, uh, right or a duty that you have as a citizen? Uh, and I'm happy to say that almost every time they get it exactly right, and they say it's it's to go vote. Uh, and so if, if our young people know that, I hope our, our, our adults that are of voting age do too. Well, Dave, what are you hearing from your constituents? What what are the, their biggest concerns these days? Well, I think it's it's I think we all know very well what the biggest concerns are. It's it's not surprising that most people are concerned about the economy. They're concerned about gas prices. Uh, you know, back during the Trump era, we had uh, payroll and uh, people's wages. They were outpacing the rate of inflation, which is exactly what you want. Uh, now we are seeing quite the reverse, where we are seeing even with all of these stimulus checks handed out by the federal government, you know, most people at most got a couple thousand dollars, but the average uh, cost of living for the normal uh, Pennsylvania family went up over $5,000. Uh, so most people are still definitely in the red, with select few exceptions. Uh, and people are smart enough to realize that you cannot spend your way into prosperity, you cannot legislate your way into freedom, uh, and, and so by only doing less spending, less government intervention, are we going to be able to correct this problem? I don't know if how much the federal government has to do with all the inflation and gas prices. We know that they have a role in it. There's just no argument about that. But in Harrisburg, when you see inflation too high, can you say to your colleagues or peers or the governor, hey, we got to do something about this. This is what it's going to be. Well, we definitely had a series of inflation-related hearings with the House Majority Policy Committee a few weeks ago, uh, and a lot of the presenters gave excellent testimony, and the recurring theme was, on the state level, there's not a whole lot we can do to combat inflation. It's mostly a federal issue. But what we can do is we can ease the pain of inflation. And the biggest way to ease the pain of inflation is to shrink or definitely not expand uh, the size and scope of state government, not increase spending, not increase registration fees, not increase licensing barriers. Those are the sorts of things that exacerbate existing inflationary issues. And gas tax holiday, did that get talked about? The gas tax holiday didn't get, uh, didn't seem to get much traction. Uh, and I would like to see a permanent reduction in the gas tax. Uh, a gas tax holiday sounds really good on paper, but without meaningful spending cuts to accommodate it, you just end up with a larger budgetary deficit. So I would prefer to see a permanent long-term cut, uh, both in the state budget and in the gas tax, so it can be a sustainable reduction in state well, spending. Look at what's going on again, again this year, with the turnpike Commission, another 5% rate increase, and they're required to give millions and millions of dollars to PennDOT and for other projects. Isn't that kind of just like robbing Peter to pay Paul? Do we need some long-term solution? Absolutely it is. And I mean, anybody who is a who works in the private sector who understands that you cannot spend more than you have. Uh, and unfortunately, in the government, it seems uh, that that is never an issue because there's always more money to take from the taxpayers, right? But unfortunately, that's not the case. As we see, Pennsylvania is uh, growing at a much slower rate. We saw we lost another their congressional seat this last census, as more and more people are moving to states like Texas or Florida, where they have no income tax, where their uh, barriers to licensing are much lower. Uh, we just had an energy policy hearing uh, out in State College yesterday prior to uh, my visit to Ag Progress Days, uh, and the uh, one of the testifiers pointed out that in Texas they're building a, a brand new rare earth mineral processing mine with a hundred year lifespan. It's going to create countless jobs, a massive investment in the state, and he said that just simply could never happen in Pennsylvania because the regulatory environment is so much more strict. In Northern Union County, last year, we had a company that pulled out, left, went to West Virginia. They were going to uh, invest in Great Stream Commons, uh, but they said it's going to take half the time and cost half as much for us to operate in West Virginia, so we're just going to go there instead. Whose fault is that? The legislatures or the governors? I think it's the growing, massive growing bureaucracy, and I will say there's absolutely blame to share. Uh, I have voted against licensure expansions, licensure requirements, fee increases time and time again, so the legislature certainly has, has blame to share, uh, but the majority 
majority of it comes down from the governor's administration, a lot of these bureaucratic entities that have sort of run away with their power, where we see entities like the bridge tolling issue, where we see things like Reggie, uh, which all of our neighboring states that are part of Reggie were entered into it legislatively, uh, but Governor Wolf decided to enter us into it unilaterally. Uh, and for those who aren't aware, Reggie, this re regional greenhouse gas initiative, is a $700 million energy tax. So we talk about rising costs of heat and oil, electricity generation, all those things. Well, with an additional $700 million tax, it's only going to drive those already uh, challenging utility bills to meet. It's going to drive them even higher. Are we done with that conversation about reducing the state legislature? We kind of did like a little fakey vote on it, and then, and then it got vetoed because it wasn't done right. I would still certainly be supportive of that. Uh, I, I think probably because this, legisl this uh, legislative session is coming to an end, uh, we only have a couple more weeks of session before the year starts over, and all of our bills you know, uh, have to start from scratch. We have to start everything over again. I'm, I'm assuming it is probably done for this legislative session. Uh, I, I would be fully supportive of that. You know, the uh, expansion of the legislature to a full-time one is one that happened during the 1968 Pennsylvania Constitutional Convention, uh, where they expanded us to a full-time legislature, where they uh, shifted control of the Legislative Reapportionment Commission that draws the maps to the Supreme Court. Uh, and so all of that happened back during the 1968 Constitutional Convention. Uh, and so I think that would probably require another one in order to fix that, uh, because legislatively, I don't see the, there being an appetite to get it done. Well, the governor of Pennsylvania has not indicated that he would support anything like a, a parental bill of rights with respect to education. We pumped a lot of money into education, and now Representative Stephen, uh, Stephanie Borowitz is trying to get the state to back off of, uh, I guess, what she calls gender identity issues. What, what kind of rights should parents have in, in determining what is taught to their kids, and how big of an issue is this in Harrisburg? I think parents should have every right. Uh, you know, parents need to have direct oversight, direct control over what and how their children are learning. Uh, and we saw down in Virginia, you know, a state that is solidly blue for years, we saw that uh, shocking flip based simply on the issue that the Democratic candidate said that he did not believe it was parents' right to have a say in their education. And that single issue alone, based on exit polling, was what flipped the race in favor of the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin. Uh, so I think pa parents in Pennsylvania deserve to have every right to have every say in their, in their child's education. And that's why I'm a firm supporter of school choice. For a lot of students, the government-run schools, they work great, and they the children thrive there, and that's wonderful for them. For other students, maybe they struggle with mental health issues or bullying, or maybe they just aren't thriving in a government-run school setting. So there are alternative options for them, whether it's homeschooling, private schooling, parochial schooling, charter schooling. Uh, but uh, education is not a one-size-fits-all option, uh, and every child deserves access to an excellent education, and that's why I'm a firm supporter of school choice and parental rights. How about the money we throw at it? <laughs> it seems like it's endless, right? Every year, the governor comes back demanding more and more money uh, for the for the government-run education system, uh, but Pennsylvania does not see a, you know, a linear correlation with that as far as our improvements in test scores. So clearly the system as it is currently, the status quo is failing our students, and that's why we need to do better. How do we stack up with other states, do you know? Uh, I could give you the exact percentage, but we're nowhere near uh, the, the percentage that we should be for the amount we spend per student. We're one of the top 10% states when it comes to state uh, spending per student, uh, but we're nowhere near that when it comes to academic performance. Yeah, I have a nephew who was in high school during the pandemic, junior and senior, and now in college, and he says that it, we missed a 
ton of momentum during the pandemic to prepare kids for college. And he says some of his peers say the same thing, you know, because they were doing the home learning and they certainly learned some, but nowhere near what they could have. Absolutely. I mean, the, the number of students that have come to me and remarked on how much they feel like they've lost, how far behind they are. I mean, the, the, the test scores themselves show it. Uh, but I think that's why one of the uh, big reasons to support school choice is a bipartisan across the aisle issue. I remember very clearly last year, I uh, talked to two two women. One, Both were mothers. One was a very right-leaning Republican. One was a very left-leaning Democrat. And both of them supported school choice. The Republican said she was supporting school choice because she did not support her school's mandatory masking policy. The liberal woman told me that her uh, she was supporting school choice because she didn't support her school's non-mandatory masking policy. Mm-hmm. So it gave both parents the opportunity to say, you know what, this option isn't working. I'm going to find what will work for my child, and I'm going to run with it. Uh, so that's why it's a bipartisan uh, across-the-board issue, because parents uh, deserve to have a right to say what their children are learning and how they're learning it. As long as we're taking on controversial issues, what do you think about the future of abortion in Pennsylvania after Roe versus Wade being overturned? Will anything change? And if so, what what will change and how will it change? So we have the constitutional amendments coming up, which are, there are going to be a series of them, uh, and one of them specifically states that there will not be a, ta- a right to a taxpayer-funded abortion. Uh, and the reason that uh, we are doing that is because in several states uh, with uh, very uh, radically left-leaning Supreme Courts, uh, Planned Parenthood has used the, the legal system to uh, to define a constitutional right in state constitutions to a taxpayer-funded abortion. Uh, and so in Pennsylvania, we are trying to preempt that by saying, look, there is not a constitutional right to a taxpayer-funded abortion. Now, that amendment, which will be on the May ballot if we pass it again next session, that will not change any of the existing statutes in Pennsylvania. Uh, now, Joe, you know that I, I firmly believe that life begins at conception. I believe that we need to protect life all the way from uh, conception until natural death. Uh, but I also believe that we have to be uh, realistic about supporting the mothers that might find themselves in a challenging position. Uh, and that's why I also have voted to fund real alternatives in Pennsylvania, uh, which is a, uh, a pregnancy care center. Specifically, they are located in more urban areas where they provide mothers with resources, prenatal needs, whether it's clothing or baby formula, counseling or adoption services. I think it's important to fight the legal fight to protect life, but I think it's also important to support the practical way to make sure that those mothers and fathers have what they need to take care of their child. I've said on the program that I, I don't see us ever getting anywhere toward resolving this issue unless we can agree on at least a minimum floor. For example, uh, in my case, I might draw it at health of the mother, uh, rape, and incest. Is there any feeling for that those kind of exceptions to be carved out in Pennsylvania, or you know, is everybody that you're dealing with opposed to any type of abortion? Well, there's a wide variety of opinions in the state house. I wouldn't want to speak for any of my colleagues, uh, but I do believe that life does begin at conception. Uh, and while obviously in, in the issue of a, if the life of the mother, mother is at issue, that is something that only the mother can decide, right? Because we cannot morally uh, ask someone to give their life for somebody else. That has to be their own decision. Uh, but in all other instances, when we are talking about ending a life, uh, if it is one of those tragic issues of rape or incest, I mean, we're talking about something that's less than 1% of the of the uh, instances of abortion. 99% of those are, whether to due to financial issues or due to issues of convenience, or in some issues, it's uh, children who, uh, mothers who just can't take care of the child. And that's why I've supported uh, entities like Real Alternatives or Save the Storks or even our local pregnancy care center, because I understand the reality that not every mother and father can care for their child. So we need to make it easy for them to to choose life for their child. We need to provide them with the resources that they are able to choose life uh, and that they are able to uh, 
you know, make make the decision that is that they can live with themselves. So you say no abortion except for the life of the mother, but uh, rape or incest, that's not an exception you agree with? I, I do not agree with ending ending the life of a child simply because they were conceived in something tragic. Okay. Uh, I, but I, as I said, I do believe in supporting the mother throughout that, and that's why I voted to fund real alternatives. That's Senator Mastriano's position. Are you a Senator Mastriano supporter for governor? Absolutely. I think given the, the current state of things in Pennsylvania and things on the federal level, uh, we need somebody that understands that the, the size and scope of government needs to be drastically reduced if we are ever going to get out of this uh, downward inflationary spiral, if we're going to stop seeing spikes in energy in the energy crisis. Uh, you know, the, the governor tried to zero out the lie heap funding to support seniors during the budgetary process right at a time when, uh, when uh, rates are skyrocketing and heating bills are impossible to meet. Uh, and so we need somebody who understands the issues challenging not only our seniors, but also the taxpayers of Pennsylvania, the rate payers, the people who foot the bill for the government. All right, last question before a break. In w- how do you hear your many constituents who say, no, we should have abortion up to X number of weeks, or these exceptions, or or your, your, your pro-choice constituents, you know, which would maybe be about a third of, of your constituents, say that. How do you hear them? Well, I'm, I'm willing to have the conversation with them, but I think that the understanding, my personal and uh, implacable belief is that life does begin at conception. And so if, if somebody comes to me and asks specifically, well, we should have it marked at six weeks or 12 weeks, my question always to them is, is, is why, right? At what point does it not become a life? At what point is it not human, right? If you, if you put all the ingredients of a cake in the oven and you're baking it and somebody comes in and throws the cake on the floor and says, hey, you ruined my cake. And you say, well, it wasn't a cake yet. Well, it was going to be. So so that is that is my thought. Good when, analogy. When, <laughs> right. So when people come to me and say, well, it's not a human yet. Well, it's going to be the day that it's born. And so to anyone who says that, you know, well, as long as we terminate it before six weeks, it's not human, just defies logic. And you, 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 you know you're on safe ground as a representative to your district. Most of it feels that way. So you're representative of your district in those views on abortion. Well, I believe so. I, I believe I absolutely am. And I'm, I'm very grateful to, to have a district with constituents. So many of them uh, share my, my value for the sanctity of life. I agree with you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll open up the phones. David Rowe is here, state representative. We have to ask about this gender identity um, primer that's given to teachers, but it has a series of suggestions that go far beyond just to what you might hear in a classroom. So uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, there's certainly other things that we can discuss with David Rowe, state representative. All right, Joe was kind enough to ask about <laughs> municipal police ra- radar off mic, and his representative David Rowe says he will support that if it were to pop back up again, but with, it won't. With the bill with a because pitch. of our highly dysfunctional state legislature in Harrisburg. But that's well, you might as well just insult Dave right to his face. Well, not, it, it was it, it was busted when you got there. Right. I, right. Well, I'd support I'd support it with the amendment included, just to clarify. Yeah, it's not it's not Dave's fault. In fact, he's made some improvements down there, including bringing melodic intervu- interludes to the <laughs> Capitol Rotunda on more than one occasion yeah, with his uh, piano playing skills, so we appreciate that. Yeah. And you're a church organist, right? Yes. Yep. I, not at all. I, I, I did take organ lessons, but getting the feet involved was a little bit much. Uh, trying to get my hands to do what I want them to do was challenging enough, so I'm just oh, the just church pianist at this point. Pianist. Okay, well, fantastic. <laughs> Alright, we got one of our callers on the line, Mike from Bloomsburg. Just a quick moment to, with the state representative. You have a suggestion to improve state government. Yeah, I do. I think uh, Pennsylvania's number one export is college-educated children. So I think what you guys need to do down there is take the position that the best social program is a job and do everything you can to make this economy stronger, make it business-friendly, 
and just, you know, kind of get back on track. Try to match what the other states in the South are doing, trying to improve their economy instead of trying to be like the woke states in California and New York and Connecticut. All right, he's heard you. Thank you. He'll respond. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I think that you you make an excellent point. You you say that our number one export is students, and you couldn't be more right, because Pennsylvania does have several esteemed uh, higher education institutions, but the problem is most students that either come there to attend or or grew up here and attend ultimately end up choosing to leave the state. Uh, and that comes uh, down to the fact that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, our state is getting you know older and smaller and poorer simply because our regulatory environment, our licensing burdens chase away the job creators. Fortunately, we were able to pass a cut of the corporate net income tax rate, which at 9.99% was the highest flat rate in the country. Uh, And no business who wants to invest in uh, any state is going to look at that and find that appealing. Uh, There was another process that we were trying to get done this year, ultimately it didn't happen, was to shift all of the state funding uh, to the non-preferred universities like University of Pittsburgh or Temple, rather than funding them directly with taxpayer dollars, to create a, uh, a, Pell st- uh, a Pell Grant style program that would allow uh, students in Pennsylvania to take those dollars to whatever uh, institution of learning, whether it was a technical school, a vocational school, or one of those universities. Uh, but one of the caveats would have been that they would have needed to live and work in Pennsylvania for a minimum of five years afterward. Uh, so so he has uh, th- your call. I'm sorry, Mike, Matt. Mike, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike I'm sorry. Mike, your point is excellent. Very well made. It's something that I firmly agree with you on. We need to do a much better job of keeping our young people here. Let me but, ask you this question. We've had a lot of talk on this show about how, I guess, nasty the public discourse has become. (laughs) How are you guys getting along in Harrisburg? Is there hope? I mean, can we work across the aisle? Can we get things done? You know, if we wind up divided again with a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature, will anything good come out of that? Well, as I said earlier, you know, I uh, I give a lot of tours to to student groups, you know, whether it's homeschool groups or or government school groups or uh, Boy Scout troops. Uh, And one of the things I always point out to them is that it does seem from a outside perspective that everything is just cutthroat, everything is vitriolic. Uh, But the reality is that's only about the 10% of things we don't agree on, where the 90% of stuff that we do agree on just doesn't get any press. I mean, most of the bills that will run in a day will end up passing unanimously, uh, simply because they're non-controversial issues, they're they're general housekeeping things, uh, but of course those don't get any press time because those don't get likes and shares. Uh, There's uh, several bipartisan issues, as I I mentioned earlier. uh, Issues like school choice are are definitely bipartisan issues, as we have you know uh, representatives like myself who think that every student should have an excellent education making sure that they can go within to go where the parents think they would excel. Uh, and then on the flip side, you have representatives from Center City, Philadelphia, uh, where the schools are not doing well, there are high rates of violence, low, late, low rates of literacy. And for the same parents, those parents, same reasons, those parents know their kids need something different. So those those uh, representatives from deep blue areas also end up supporting school choice. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was a bill that uh, would have expanded uh, civil asset forfeiture in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I am an opponent of civil asset forfeiture. I think it's a constitutional violation violation to presume guilt instead of presuming innocence. Uh, and I was able to uh, pull a majority of Republicans and a handful of Democrats across the aisle in one of my amendments to strip the forfeiture language out. It just barely failed. Uh, but it was an example that we can have a very robust conversation across the aisle still on many issues. They're just not the issues that get press. I noticed that you still have a stenographer in the state house that when you have a remark or somebody else that normally she's just clacking away. But when you step up, she's like, <laughs> she's like trying 
to keep up. It's crazy. You you talk fast. Is this your normal? Do you always talk this? I, I get told that all the time. Okay. I get I told it all. I, I I think it's my brain trying to keep up with my mouth or vice versa. Well, and neither of them are quite connected. You got it wound up. Okay, no <laughs> argument there. The gender identity issue. State Department of Education has sort of a primer for teachers that if they hear certain references to gender identity, uh, binary, and things like that, they know what they mean. But of course, the definitions aren't a hundred percent agreed upon. You know what they what they say they really mean. You want that stricken from the policies or revised? I guess. Well, the issue doesn't stem from just uh, the, the primer that is intended to be as a definition. The issue stems from the also along that website. It provides guidance for teachers to encourage children to practice being gender neutral, to have days where they reject their biology, and so where little eight year old boys and eight year old girls. If a teacher chooses. If a teacher chooses to, to right. Do that. Uh, but th- that's the sort of thing that look, I'm, Mark, I'm not denying that gender dysphoria exists as an issue. Of course it exists as an issue. And the, the tragedy of it is children who are diagnosed with gender dysphoria have a 20 to 30 percent greater chance of committing self-harm or suicide later in life. And affirming these uh, uh, these mental health issues does not help them. The data has clearly shown that whether offering puberty blockers or sterilizing surgeries does not decrease those statistics. In fact, it only increases them further. So what we need to be doing is making sure that uh, parents are ha- the ones having these conversations with their children, making sure parents are the ones uh, that are addressing these complex issues, making sure that the children have the opportunity to speak to somebody who can assist them. You know, this last year's budget, we did increase mental health funding in schools significantly for that exact reason. If we know, then the data shows that mental health issues have a detrimental impact on children, but then we have our Department of Educating, de- Education not only defining, but promoting those sort of similar mental health uh, situations, that is something that I think a lot of parents would be very concerned to hear so about. So that should be revised. Um, uh, Route 15 tracks at Winfield. One of our listeners sends us a text that says, they, they, they say, I would like Mr. Rowe to fix those tracks. They want you out there with a shovel. <laughs> well, I don't think anybody wants me to go out there. I, I definitely wouldn't be the best guy to fix it, but I can report that Senator Yaw and I did receive a grant uh, for the Route 15 crossing, so that should be fixed uh, hopefully uh, later this year once everything is lined up and ready to go. And now, that would be a grant for the railroad company, correct? Uh, I Specifically, the pass-through entity, I might have to refer to Joe oh, okay. on who the pass-through is, but the end result should be, should be a fixed crossing, and it, uh, it should actually be done correctly this time. Now, to sum things up, what is there we haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Well, well it's always great to be here. You guys always have great conversation topics. Uh, I think uh, I'll just share one of my last legislative priorities, hopefully before this session wraps up, uh, and that is uh, to make sure we're taking care of our veterans, because we have in Pennsylvania something called the Small Diverse Business Classification uh, that gives some uh, preferential treatment for in regarding government contracts to certain groups. Uh, and earlier this year, uh, Governor Wolf removed veterans uh, from that classification classification. Uh, inexplicably, we tried to reach out to the Department of General Services, find out why, and there was no answer. Uh, so I have introduced legislation that has a, a bipartisan list of co-sponsors that will simply reinstate our veterans uh, as, as part of that small, diverse business classification. I mean, the number of unemployed or homeless veterans in the United States is is tragic. Uh, and so making sure that they are set up well to be able to create businesses, start a life, create jobs, be entrepreneurs, making sure that pathway is easy for them as possible. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get this done 
before the end of the year. But we don't want to just help, or do we want to help any business owner who happens to be a veteran who may be thriving and definitely in the black and employing many people? Do we want to give them uh, government money just because they're a veteran? Oh, it's a purely voluntary program. If, if people don't want to uh, go through the process, they certainly don't have to. I know most people choose not to simply because of the bureaucratic headache. Uh, but the, the issue with what Governor Wolf did, and Marks, you know that I am a, uh, a free market guy to a T, where I would rather have no government information, no government subsidies of, of any kind. Uh, but the issue with how Governor Wolf did this currently is because he, he stripped away the designation without any heads up. So we have multiple veteran-owned businesses in Pennsylvania that are uh, that are out multi-million dollars because they were expecting government contracts that now they'll be losing. So the, the process of how it was done is the issue, and making sure that these veteran-owned businesses don't go belly up is the priority. Right, you got two emails. One I'll just forward to you, but the first one is, what's your opinion of Senator Perry? Uh, this is Representative U Perry. Uh, yeah, I Representative think that would be. Perry's uh, con U.S. Congressman's <laughs> phone being taken by the FBI. I, I think that what we saw happen at Mar-a-Lago is, is, is very scary. I think what's happening to Congressman Perry is as well. You know, it's, it's, interesting, it's very interesting times when, you know, disgraced former Governor Andrew Cuomo is, is the one that I think kind of gets it right when he's the one that said <laughs> the state the, uh, the State Department Department of Justice needs to be able to present something a little bit more substantive than just saying some boxes of papers for the National Archives. Otherwise, this action of raiding the former president's home undermines the credibility of the entire institution. All right. Well, Good to point. be continued. Thank you so Thank much you, for your Dave. visit. Appreciate Come back it. anytime. Call in with updates. And when the if Radar makes it out of committee, <laughs> please call Joe right away. He's <laughs> having a meltdown over there. Thank you guys very much for having me. Always Thanks, good Dave. to be here. Right, good to we'll see take you, a sir. Quick